Hello and welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Pastor Will Harley. I'm here with my cohort in crime, the always very well-groomed and beautifully presented uh, Pastor Dave Rudat. As he is here, we are gathering to, to sort of maybe lighten the mood from what our future or previous shows have been. Um, if you've enjoyed our opportunities to gather around the word when uh, Pastor Don Winsberger and myself have talked about scripture, well now Dave and I deciding that as pastors we should probably talk about scripture at some point. And so we are taking the time to start a new adventure as we, we get to talk about scripture. And I'll let Dave do some introduction of that. But before I let him uh, do the introduction on what we will be talking about uh, for the next couple of shows or intermittent throughout the different shows that we do, um, I would like to say that this is two pastors just rambling our thoughts. We are going to present to you Jesus Christ living under the cross. And how do we live uh, with that new creation that God has, has given to us and made us into? We are going to tackle some probably deeper subjects, uh, something that might be a little bit hard for um, us to come to terms with and 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 uh, cope with. But bear with us, walk with us. Uh, if you don't like what we say, contact us. Let's have a conversation, and uh, hopefully the Lord will bless us as we, we join these conversations. So I will let you introduce the topic before we have our little intro music here. Oh, we are looking at the pastoral epistles. All right, so pastoral epistles, here we go. As we look at the New Testament and the letters of the Apostle Paul, we see that they are grouped in different categories, and one of the categories is the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles are uh, letters, hence the word epistles, letters written to uh, pastors. Timothy and Titus are the two pastors that are mentioned, uh, and it is interesting for us to, to think about that we have this little inside baseball in the Bible. Not only do we have a Casting Net podcast where we're talking to two pastors, but some a more dignified, holier, and most importantly, inspired uh, dialogue between Pastor and uh, Timothy and Pastor and uh, Pastor Paul and Titus as well. And it leads to a question, why do we have this correspondence between individuals? Isn't there some sort of biblical HIPAA laws that were that Paul was violating, that he was uh, uh, confiding in Timothy or in Titus some things that he should not have talked to us uh, and revealed to the rest of us for the rest of time? And the answer to that is always the Holy Spirit wanted us to have it. And so that's why we have it, and so we're, we appreciate it as well. Well, I think, you know, the pastoral epistles and, and one of those things that, that I think are would be good for our listeners to maybe also take home is that these are not just for pastors. 
um, that that really what is being shared is for the priesthood of all believers. Um, <clears throat> now, are there people that are are called to, in a very um, corporate way, serve as as the the leaders of the congregation? Yes, they are. Um, we call them pastors, but. You, uh, dear listener, are to be a uh, part of that priesthood of all believers. Uh, fathers, you are to be the pastors in your home, right? Um, mothers, you are to be able to share your faith with your children and with your husband and with your friends that you, you interact with throughout your day. Um, children, you are to to help hold your parents accountable to the grace that they're given. So these pastoral epistles are not just for the pastor, um, but they're really for us for life and living. Because he does talk about what does it what does it mean to uh, worship and gather as a church and what should how should a church function so that's really of interest for all of us not just for pastors. Uh, I was the one that picked the pastoral epistles and I guess I never told Will why I wanted to pick the pastoral epistles. I thought it was because it was part of the Bible. Okay, <laughs> and we like the Bible. <laughs> we like the Bible. <laughs> Uh, I like the pastoral epistle just uh, for my own professional growth. This is going from the podcast we had on professional growth. Uh, I like going through them again, not just because it uh, it doesn't just um, encourage me as a pastor, but it holds me accountable to. And this is what I should be doing as a pastor. Um, And some of the things that I don't like to do, maybe my sinful nature has convinced me I don't have to do them at this particular time, which means I'm procrastinating the things I need to be doing. I read the pastoral epistles and I go, okay, I got to, this is what uh, the the Holy Spirit um, inspiring Paul is encouraging me to do. You know, and it's interesting you say that, you know, the, the your desire to encounter the pastoral epistles is for spiritual growth and for personal growth and for, for really our, our pastoral growth as, as in our office. We're in one of those unique jobs where, they're not adding new information to what we we get to share. <laughs> um, the 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 Lord has completed the writing of the scriptures and He has presented it through time and space for us in 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 the, His Word. Um, but it is a living word, and it is one of those things that that as I have grown um, in God's Word and I go back and I reread things that I thought I knew or I interact with the parts of scripture that, that I have committed to memory. And then I go back and I reread and then I, and, and, in different parts of my own ministry, it affects me differently. And, and the Lord gives a different nuance or a different understanding. We have, um, we have a, a, a Bible translation group that we, we work on, um, throughout the week, every, every Monday. And I've noticed that there, you know, just translating in as a, as the group of pastors coming together and doing that work, Man, there's so many insights that I thought I knew, right? And then they come out. So, so have an opportunity to take a look at the pastoral epistles and say, okay, what is it that God is calling me to as he gave me this wonderful joy of serving other people? Um, and what is its purpose? And, and you know, that, that there is a, there's a, 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 um, a, a good focus that brings us back down to the reality that, you know, the church doesn't rest on me. It rests on the Lord who who strengthens me to to serve in these capacities for a reason. So I I, I appreciate going through the pastoral epistles with you. Um, hopefully, dear listener, you're going to enjoy us walking through and and maybe discussing some of the highlights of of the pastoral pastoral epistles. Maybe it would it would serve our people to um, tell them which one we're going to start with. <laughs> uh, the first book. Well, if you. You're listening to this. I already have this in the title of the podcast, but uh, 
we haven't verbally said anything, but the first book is First Timothy. And so the letter to Timothy, let's talk a little bit about who is Timothy to the Apostle Paul. Paul picked up Timothy on his first missionary journey, didn't literally pick him up, but uh, he went to the city called Lystra and found Timothy there. He, uh, if I recall, Timothy had um, a Greek father and a Jewish mother, or is it a Jewish father and a Greek mother? No, he had a he a not Jewish um, Christian. Christian, okay. She, so um, very because he was not circumcised. Um, so he is uh, Greek, Greek mother. Uh, sorry, Greek father, Christian mother, Christian grandmother. Um, and and actually, they met for the first time in the first missionary journey, and he doesn't start following. Paul until the second missionary journey when he joins Paul and Silas um, and 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 then becomes part of the second missionary journey. Just clarification, he did have a Jewish mother. It was Jewish mother? Yeah. Okay. But he still wasn't circumcised. Christian. Circumc- Christian. Christian. Yep. Still but, wasn't Christian. Yep. but wasn't circumcised, right? Yep. Okay. So uh good to be clarif- good to good to get those clarifications. Um we we see Timothy is uh well, you know, Timothy is an interesting um, guy, because we don't have a lot of what he says. Uh, we like we don't hear his responses necessarily, um, but we know his importance. Um, Paul rested uh, or, or placed a lot of responsibility on this young man's shoulders. Um, so I mean, Paul had a very high regard for Timothy. Exactly, like uh, in his uh, second missionary journey, when he writes to. A letter of First Corinthians. To, he sends Timothy to to write that, and then we have Ephesus, a huge congregation, huge importance in the Greek world. He puts Timothy in charge of that, and so this uh, the church in Ephesus. That's where the Apostle John eventually ends up before he is uh, exiled to Patmos. So we're talking about in charge of a a, a, a pr- prominent Christian organization, uh, Christian church. Well, and and then mean, Timothy. And you see, you know, even with John being there, you know, that that Timothy is, Timothy as even a young man is able to stand with um, some of the powerhouses in in what we would call the apostolic age, right, of the church. Um, He serves at least, if not with, alongside John. Um, He walks with Paul and and is valued highly with Paul. you know, we it gives us some understanding that Timothy had a had a good mind on his shoulders, a good understanding of the doctrines of the church, um, and that he understood how to communicate the, those truths to someone else. Um, so, I mean, you know, if you're going to do like a case study on on who Timothy is, I mean, you get a lot of um, interactions that I mean from silence, but they're just interactions that we have of the of the apostles. Uh, especially Paul, of course, but but of who the kind of character is of of this man. Yep. Uh, when was First Timothy written? It was after Acts, so we're dealing with sixty three A.D. Uh, the time when uh, we don't know the story of Acts ends with Paul's imprisonment. A lot of times, his conversation to Timothy is after this. His letter to se- his second letter to Timothy is under a, another unnamed. Uh, I bet you it's before 68. His second imprisonment is 68? No, I, I said I bet you it's before or 68. 68. <laughs> before Paul dies. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we're really leading on the Holy Spirit. 
He wrote from the grave. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, I think most writers or most, um, if you're going to look it up, we'll say, you know, a, a, a good sound number would probably be around 65. Um, 64, we had uh, uh, a huge upset in um, Christendom at the time or, or the world at the time where where you have um, m- more heavy action being taken against the Christian church um, by uh, the Roman Empire. Um, <clears throat> 70 AD, just to give you an idea, is the fall of, of Jerusalem, the destruction, the final destruction of the second temple. Um, and, and actually, interestingly enough, um, 70 AD is when, when Christianity officially makes its separation from Judaism and says that we are no longer a part of Judaism. Um, so just to give you an idea of some of the turmoil that's kind of being tossed around in this time frame between 64 um, and 70. Uh, Paul is, is, is in the thick of things. Um, he is, is hoping to come back to Ephesus. He is uh, attempting to, to, to fight and put out fires uh, that are being caused by Gnosticism. Um, and this, up, this upswing within the heresy within the, this, this church uh, that says there's secret knowledge that a person can have or needs to have uh, for them to be a Christian and really understand, right, um, what's going on. I, I'm being shown here uh, possibly 63. Yeah, so 63, 65. Right. So, so, but you're still around in this this time frame where there's a lot of upheaval, uh, upheaval going on. Um, you know, Paul's other letters that are written around this time are, are combating... Um, what we would call more the Judaizers, uh, people who are from the Jewish tradition who are, are relying a lot on the law. Um, like I said before, I think Timothy really focuses on what John will focus on, his letters, Gnosticism, the secret knowledge of, of stories coming in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to really have that being faced here with, with Timothy too and, and the encouragement that Paul gives to, to confront this in the pastoral way. So as we look at an outline of the book of Timothy, we have uh, the... Beginning of the book obviously has an exhortation and encouragement uh, to Timothy. Then you have a focus on the pure word in chapter one and holding on to that pure word, which would be makes sense, I suppose, from two pastors writing together. What's the most important thing you're going to write about is the word of God. This is make make sure this is uh, maintained. Uh, he's got uh, chapters two to three talks about uh, church life and church activity. Uh, chapter 4 talks about truth and false teaching, which, of course, would be op- applicable to all of us um, dealing with the, the truth and the false teaching and whatnot. That's all of our charge to watch over ourselves and that. And then in chapters 5 and 6 is encouragement uh, to Christian living. There's, there's, um, there's actually quite a few different outlines as to how to look at the book of Timothy. That's a really good one just for you, dear listener, as you, you know what you're going to get in the book of First Timothy, there's going to be a lot of conversation to Timothy, the pastor, to Tim- to the church that he is serving. Both of those two major concepts are he's going to go back and forth in the application and instruction. 
Well, and I think one of the things that we have to realize in in First Timothy, and this is what's going to be one of the things to wrestle with, <clears throat> is Paul is going to be making a lot of statements, especially later on when it comes to church organization, and and even some very important encouragements later on at the end of the book. Um, that that what Paul is saying is is it's viewed in the in the concept of the Christian life. So you know you have been saved through the blood of Christ. You are created new. What is the reaction of this new creation? Um, and and so easily we can get lost in the mire of um, Paul is making another law, right? Paul is establishing another process by which we now have to show ourselves. And that's not what Paul's intent is. Paul's Paul's really intent is, okay, you are a new creation. So what what is the natural reaction of a new creation, the natural reaction of a new creation in Christ is to be ordered, is to, is to um, follow the desires of our Father in heaven and how he established creation to be and, and, and desired it to be. So we're going to have a lot of these little concepts that are coming up that if we don't refocus back on his first chapter and say, we're going to get to the nitty gritty, what's the most important? Here's the word, keeping the word in its purity and the gospel in its purity because the rest of what I'm going to say means absolutely no sense if if you don't have this framework that you're leaning on. And that's most of Paul's letters, right? If you take them out of context, you can make Paul pretty much say anything you want. Or um, prescribe all kinds of law. Right, or prescribe all types of law. And, and, that's, and that's taken out of context because he always preloads it with, here's Christ. And, and here's here's the gospel, uh, which maybe brings us to, you know, a good opportunity since we're starting the pastoral epistles and we're starting Timothy. Let's talk about the first chapter and, and just let's break down the gospel um, and what he's presenting as this encouragement to this young pastor who is given a really big church. Um, you know, he's given a, he's given a church that is going through some issues and and he needs some encouragement. So. Chapter fifth, uh, chapter one, verse fifteen probably has the biggest gospel in the whole book, and one of my favorites. I've actually preached on this in front of a bunch of pastors, uh, and that is, this is a trustworthy and uh, and worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Well, you see, and that's interesting. You think that is the biggest gospel section? I and, do, think and it's... and I think the biggest gospel section is. Um, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I I am the sinner and I need Christ Jesus. So someone could read verse two and say, "Yeah, that's nice that I have grace, mercy, and peace." But uh, the combination of of that of recognizing who I am and yet sure. uh, Christ came to save me. I I, re- I preached this and I said, "Who's the?" The, in case you're curious, what? How could Pastor Rudat begin a, a sermon talking about being the worst sinner? I said, "Who's the worst pastor here?" I started it off, and I waited for them to to turn around and look at somebody, but they all stayed and kept looking at me. And I'm like, "Okay, you're all looking at me. We've got the answer." <laughs> well, you got to realize pastors don't like to to participate <laughs> in those types of things. But no, I, I think I think it builds off though, and and I I think you you know and and I I agree with it. it's a beautiful part of the letter uh, where where it's almost self deprecating in the sense that Paul recognizes his own shortcomings um, and also recognizes the grace that he's been given, um, but but the 
and this is the thing that I'm where I made my comment. I value very, very greatly the the specific order in which Paul begins his letters, and especially the pastoral epistles, um, because he begins it with grace, mercy, and peace. And 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 sometimes you look at that and you'd say it's an introduction. He does it all the time, but there's a purpose, you know, grace, undeserved love. I mean, this is when you, when you, when you talk about the concept of grace, you're talking about something that we don't, we don't warrant. We don't earn. We, we receive from our heavenly father outside of anything we've ever done. And that leads to mercy. And sometimes we confuse mercy and grace, right? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. This undeserved grace leads to undeserved mercy, and I don't get what I, what I deserve to get, which leads to this ultimate peace. Uh, and he builds off these beautiful concepts in, in the reality of saying, I'm the worst of sinners. What do I deserve? And yet I have grace, which removes from me the burden of what I know I deserve because Christ has taken it away, which gives to me a peace that I can share um, and here it is in the pure gospel. Um, so it builds, I mean, the, the, like all Paul's letters, they build off of each other. You know, we start. He starts, it's as if a heavenly writer had instilled these words into Paul to share. I think we call that inspiration. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, I like your emphasis on those words because a lot of times our sermons start off with grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And for our, our listeners to say, dear friend, that's gospel. Uh, that's good news. That's why our pastor is getting up there in the pulpit. He might start uh, banging the pulpit or he might start saying some things and, and convicting you of your sin. Uh, he might be saying things that you don't want to hear. Um, and things that terrify him to say that he knows he's got to say it, um, and he's not exactly thrilled to be saying it, but he starts off his sermon, he's reminding himself as well, I'm here to bring the gospel to these folks that are in front of me, or folks who are online. Um, I'm here to talk to you about grace, mercy, and peace that can only come, only can come from God, and only through Jesus Christ and what he has done. Well, and, and, and now, and, and, you know, since, you know, this is the start of his sermon, right? And you had mentioned he's going to give you some bad news. And um, I kind of view that Paul gives him the, some bad news right out of the gate. Because in verse 3, he says, um, just as, you know, it's sort of, as I urged you before, I'm going to continue to urge you again. It's almost the opinion that, guess what? I don't think Timothy likes Ephesus very much. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard ministry <laughs> and and maybe the grass is a little bit greener in Corinth <laughs> or Galatia um, or Lystra or Lystra um, you know and but what is it that we see again we see you know you know we see this this encouragement remain in this hard circumstance because you are well equipped to for a purpose be there um, and, and so he, he's going to give that purpose. Um, and, and essentially, you know, if we're going to sum it up, the, 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 the purpose for Timothy's call to Ephesus was there was this upstart of, of a movement based around myths and genealogy. This is that Gnostic upstart where, where there's this other hidden knowledge that, that, that we're going to share with you and that gives you this secret stuff. Um, and, and it's leading people astray. And it, and it was it was leading people down the wrong path. 
I think this whole idea of the Bible is good, but I've got something better, or I you've read the Bible your whole life, and here let's let's uh, find some new information is such an appealing thing, no matter what time you're in. So that's what makes Timothy such an applicable book, uh, because we are as a confessional Lutheran pastor is always going back to the Bible, not going on to what this person wrote or what that person wrote, but going back to the Bible. This is the source of our doctrine in our life. Well, and, you know, in our previous conversations, we, you know, a lot of our our podcast recently has been <clears throat> looking at catechesis, looking at um, basic, what do we give to our, the basic doctrines of the church, the hope and comfort that we give. And, and I think what you're saying is, 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 is the part that we're leaning on that, that we're never, we're never fully prepared in the catechism, right? Uh, I, I believe it was Luther who one time said that, that um, uh, when I master the catechism, then I can move on. <laughs> And, and he never mastered the catechism. He never mastered the, those six core principal parts and understanding the grace that's given through that. And, and I, I see that in this very beginning paragraph especially, right, where, where we have the encouragement of Paul to Timothy to say, you know the doctrines of the church. You know the right doctrines of the church, and you know what is different and being preached. And, and, and so you are in this rare position to be able to be the stopgap, or the stopgap that that says I'm gonna I'm gonna halt what is being destructive um, through your word. Now, now that's going to uh, be kind of an interesting way that how he puts that. Um, he he wants, and th- I struggled with this. I was reading it again last night as as we were preparing, and I struggled with this because he says in verse five, right? He's he says um, the goal of this command is love. Right, that comes from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith. By veering away from these things, right? So, so this is the goal. But, but I look at that and I'm like, that's law. All of that is law. The command. I'm, I'm commanding you to do this out of love. <laughs> but even love is a command. And I struggled where, where's the gospel in this? Um, and, and that that became a real struggle for me. I does I does I think it's all part of a larger package, and I really appreciate how oftentimes he talks about Timothy having a good conscience. Um, I I think it's I had some notes that I don't didn't bring today, but um, my notes at home said something like there are four different times when he talks to Timothy about a good conscience. Like what makes a good pastor to Paul is someone who has a good conscience. Now, how do we get a good conscience through law and gospel uh, through understanding what God's word says, and then also understanding what Jesus has done for me, which empowers me to live and to make decisions, make ethical decisions in this world. And, and holding himself as a, as a pastor, Timothy, holding himself to that idea of, I have to do things in line with the word of God. I've got to make sure that I'm not violating this word of God as I'm practicing it uh, among God's people. So, I, I can see where you would say there's a whole ton of law in here, but just the idea of the pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith always has to have gospel in order for them to be pure and good and sincere. Well, and I and, and I, I can see where you would say it picks up on that because he, he picks up on that in 12, right? That as Paul uses himself as the example, I'm empowered by who? <laughs> I'm empowered <laughs> by Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
who, who, and then he goes into saying everything he's done. He was treated worthy by him, right? Trustworthy. He was appointed to a ministry. He, he who was a former blasphemer, a persecutor, all of these things. Um, so yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, it comes back down to, to what is, what is Paul doing? Paul is saying, you, you yourself aren't equipped to do this work, but God has empowered you to do this work through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and he has given you this wonderful message but before you can give the wonderful message, you got to hit them because, you know, the, the, the law is not sweet or the, the gospel is not sweet and it is not a balm unless you are first injured by the law, which shows us for what we truly are. Um, <clears throat> and, and, you know, that's, that's Walterian type of, of language. If you, if CFW Walter is what he's yeah, referring to. Uh, CFW Walter, he not is some sort of, uh. Um, magical, mystical, no magical, <laughs> wizard of mis- some sort. no magical, Mister uh, uh, Mister Wizard. But he he did write a very good you know book, the distinction between law and gospel. And in he in there he says the law you know uh, is like a furnace that heats the iron and and it screams and then the, you know the hammer comes down and it forms and it is shaped and then it's it's put into the water and that sweet water as it solidifies it the way it should be. And and I think that's the struggle, right? Um, and, and all pastors struggle with, and, and here's the encouragement maybe Paul is making is, is even for Timothy, the struggle is, do we pull back on the law? You know, we, we talk about sin. Okay. But sometimes do we maybe pull back because we don't let that full force come swinging down so that the gospel and its full force can, can fix. Right. And I would completely agree with that. I think also he's talking about the, the temptation of false teachers who would use the law and say, if only we did this, then Timothy, your work in Ephesus would be that much easier. Uh, if only you told your people to do A, B, and C, just like um, so-and-so came through town and had, had all these ideas based on uh, some weird myth, real genealogy, some all over the place, uh, wherever they got their ideas from, but they had these rules for life. And if they just followed those rules, then your church would be that much better. And Paul says, the law is like you said, well, uh, it's meant to, it's meant to kill. It's meant to tell people, uh, you deserve the fires of hell, but rather you move your people, uh, using the gospel, empowered them through the gospel, through law and gospel, uh, empower them through the gospel, which comes after a law which has convicted them. Well, and and I and you know you speak about that, and I think we 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 feel that way today. Um, <clears throat> many of our many of our parishioners have thought, you know, and this is where Paul so beautifully writes his letters. If only the Ten Commandments weren't weren't removed from our schools. Oh, we'd have a memorial public schools. Have, public schools. We'd have a moral society. If only we would follow that okay, I get what you're saying, but it's the law. And, and and the law will do nothing but convict. In fact, when we approach the law, it's very easy for us to lower the bar, um, lower and lower and lower and say, Okay, I need I need I, I can't do this, but I'll supplement it with that and it'll be fine. And then we, we always readjust and and what we have here in this very beginning is no. There's a purity in in hitting. And he does. I mean, he, look. I mean, godless people, sinners, unholy, worldly people. For those who who are immoral people, homosexuals, for kidnappers, liars, uh, perjurers, and whatever else is opposed to sound teaching. He just hits the gambit. He says, "Okay, okay, Timothy, preach against them." Um, that's like everybody in your congregation. 
I mean, at some point, one person, you yourself fits into one of those categories. Um, and, and then he, and then he, you know, he, he entrusts this message of what? Keeping the glorious gospel, right? So that I'm not going to, I'm not going to preach about your morality. I'm not going to preach about, okay, be a better person. I'm going to preach about Christ and what he has done for you. And that's uh, good for me professionally, just to think about what am I doing as a pastor, whether I'm online or whether I am in the office or whether I'm preaching or doing a Bible class, whether I'm out and about and visiting people or just out and about, period. How am I bringing Christ to the people around me? And I think for that, as a, my wife and I were doing that in a devotion this morning, one of the questions was, uh, and was the Ruth in uh, Boaz's a greeting with the, the workers, the Lord bless you, and they said, the Lord bless you. And uh, we were talking. They didn't say, and also with you? They didn't say, they weren't. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But just the idea of uh, uh, how hard it is to actually bring up God without it sounding weird. And and for not just for yourself, but for somebody else. But that really is something that we we should be bringing Christ more. I I said we should be, I shouldn't be saying that. Um, Just the opportunity you and I have to bring Christ to those who are around us. Uh, recognizing that the law is always going to be there and that it will always convict. But what uh, uh, our job and, and goal as pastors and job and goal as Christians is to bring Christ to people because that's how uh, they can, um, That w- that's what leads to the pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Well, you know, and, and, and I'll be the first to admit, you know, I, I find it easier to share Jesus, and, and I don't know why it is, but I find it easier to share Jesus with, somebody I have, I've personally not attached to than, than it is with my own family. Um, I, I get very exasperated, uh, and, and almost very fearful to share Jesus with my own family. And it shouldn't be that way. Um, but you know, just the, the reality that my own family is shipwrecked, um, and that some of the members of my own family are shipwrecked in, in their understanding of who God is and understanding of what Christ has done for them. And they have shipwrecked themselves on these false notions of, well, I lived a good life and I've done my best and I have, um, you know, fill in the blank to, to, to say of all the different pegs that they have tried to climb up themselves. Me in a position to just stand up in front of them and say, okay, it doesn't matter because Jesus matters. And what did Jesus do despite everything you tried to do to circumvent him and say that he wasn't, you know what I mean? Um, to, 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 to fight that good fight, as, as Paul so wonderfully says, right? Um, to, to stay true to the faith and have this good conscience of saying, I did what I, what I could do with what God has provided for me. Not that I can change that person, but I presented what I needed to present, which is the gospel of Jesus that says it's, it doesn't matter what you do, it matters what he has done. Yeah, I really appreciate that good conscience coming up again, just the idea of um, so oftentimes as a pastor, you have to fight that, well, do I want to be right here or uh, or do I want to be liked here or you know, just that whole idea of it, when I go home tonight and I reflect on this conversation, am I going to feel good about it? Um, and that really is, uh, it does take some self-discipline to be able to say things that you have to say also to say things that need to be said and also say things that are um, not like you were mentioning with your family and talking to your, your family about the things that really matter. Um, well, you know, and, and maybe, you, maybe yeah. you've, maybe you've felt this way in, 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 
And I know I have recently, and I'm learning, I'm I'm not anywhere close to this, but I'm learning. There are some times where I get that instinct when I'm talking with somebody and and sometimes with my family, but with other people too, where they say something and I know it's like in my bones, it's theologically incorrect. (laughs) It's you did not say that even remotely close to any, any, and, and, you know, and I have, there were times in my ministry, I would just boil and I would, and I would fail to listen to the rest of what they're saying because I wanted to wait until they had a moment where they stopped talking so I could correct that false idea. Um, and I missed the entire point of, of yes, okay, they had, they had a false understanding and I can correct that at a later time. But really the, the thing they were struggling with is they needed to hear Christ from my lips because they were struggling with something greater than what I anticipated. Um, and, and I've been trying to do that in my ministry more and more, that, that fighting the good fight isn't fighting every fight. And, and that is something that, that I've had to take really into consideration. Yeah, it's, with faith. I, uh, yeah, that's yeah. building off of that. I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no. Now, I, I want your input uh, on well, it. I, yeah, just the whole idea that the Word of God is going to continue to work. On, like sometimes you think, like, I have to have this conversation now because I won't have this conversation in, in, in the future. And yes, there's an urgency to when we're speaking to people. We don't know when Jesus is going to come again um, but as a pastor as well. But then as a pastor, you know, this is not the last conversation I'm going to have with this individual. We hopefully and prayerfully, uh, I believe that I'll have more conversations with this person. So uh, I'm fighting a good fight. I got to believe that also God is working on my side and that I will, that there'll be other opportunities for me uh, to talk to this individual and also with a good conscience, not, not responding in anger or responding just because I want to be right. But, a good conscience, making sure that I've balanced everything in the situation, which is impossibly hard to do sometimes when you're talking with somebody else. You can only, sometimes you just have to respond in a certain way. A good conscience at the end of the conversation, perhaps it comes back to Christ again for yourself, saying, I'm the worst. I could have done that so much better, but Christ Jesus came to die for me too. Right, and and I think also, you know, it's just the progression of our own our own personal growth. You know, uh, there are a lot of doctrines that I wrestled with in in my youth, and and even in the ministry, we go through the training and we we have all the core pretty much laid out for us. But but you know, um, we understand it. We're, we'll hopefully understand it. But even in my growth as a pastor, you know, I have grown in my understanding and in, in the depth of those doctrines and the the truths of God's word, and. I can't expect somebody, I, I really can't, and I got to get over that myself. I can't expect everyone to have the right answer that, or the, or the, the answer that I have come to, I should say. Um, and I got to be patient and, and, and with a good conscience say, okay, I've done what I can do and I've done what I've been called to do. And I think that's really where, where Paul is shining in this letter, especially when he starts out with Timothy is he, he's giving him a call, a charge to say, here is where your fight is. Um, and your fight isn't, we're going to talk a little bit about church organization. Yeah. But, but, but notice when we went through the outline, mm-hmm. how many times and he starts off with a letter of, Hey, guess what? There's myths and false doctrine coming in the church. Okay. We'll talk about church doctrine or uh, organization, whatever. But guess what? There's false doctrine in the church. Your fight is there. That's where your fight is. And, and, and your fight is to bring Christ to them. 
um, in the truth and purity of that. And I, and I think that's a huge thing. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because in the next verse, the very last verse of chapter one, he mentions Hymenaeus and Alexander, uh, just two guys who have rejected uh, what Paul is encouragement. And he gives us that reminder that when there is adversity in the church, when people are disagreeing with you doctrinally, or when they're trying to lead, lead uh, you or lead your people away, it's never personal. Uh, it does kind of sound personal when he says, whom I handed over to Satan so that they might not be taught not to blaspheme. sounds like he's, you know, he really, um, it, it, it's a mention of, of church discipline here, basically is what this is, fighting the good fight. But he's also believing that church discipline is going to work and that it isn't a, a personal thing, that it, uh, pe- someone who disagrees with Paul, uh, now suddenly he just throws him under the bus. But just as this is the process that has gone through, uh, a, a something that uh, Timothy should also realize uh, he's a small part of the a big picture of God working on the, those individuals' hearts. Yeah, and and I I like how you approach that that very end. You know, there's a <clears throat> where false doctrine exists, and 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 please realize, and and this is yes, okay, this is a part of church organization. Um, removing or re, I should say releasing a member from your fellowship because they no longer are gathering in worship after years and years of trying to get reach them back or they go and they go to another church like a uh, one that's outside of our fellowship that is a releasing from membership that is not an excommunication an excommunication is when somebody remains in the church preaching false and living false doctrine as if it's not a thing and that's what really Paul is saying is is being and so I like how you highlighted there is a practice of these truths are self-evident. Christ has lived for you, died for you, in Christ you are saved. Period. End of story. The 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 commandments are fulfilled in Christ. Now go and live under that banner. You have rejected that truth and consider yourselves to still be part of us. No, that doesn't happen, right? Um, and so now we have to enact a, a type of discipline. Right. And also his goal is that they might be taught not to blaspheme. So P- Paul's goal is always to bring them back. Uh, I think oftentimes what happens in church politics where the, uh, someone who has, has a strong personality just pushes out of the congregation those people who disagree with them just because uh, it's a pain and it'd be better if you just have a bunch of sheep um, that he get to tell them what to do instead of people who actually have their own opinions on things. Where Paul is in, is in his mind when he's writing the the mindset of hopefully these guys can come back, but what they're doing right now is is sinful, is against the gospel, is against God's word. Um, their souls are in danger. Let's uh, let's bring them back. It's not personal. It's just the, the doctrine is that important. Well, and and I and and I know we're coming close to the end of chapter one here, and we are at the end of chapter one here. But I I, I think it might do well for us to understand the idea of of maybe what Paul is is highlighting here in in the idea of blaspheming. Um, you know, we've we've heard that word, and we've seen a little bit of the reaction when Jesus was accused of blaspheming because he called himself God. I don't think it is the same in this section where these two men are calling themselves God. So maybe it would be a, a good thing for us to to just highlight that that the idea of blaspheming against the Lord doesn't necessarily mean that you are equating yourself with God and saying, oh, look at me, I am God. 
but maybe would would it be all right if we would if, give it a loose definition and say that that blaspheming is removing from God anything that God has 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 claimed for Himself? Could we could we include that in this idea of blaspheming? Give me an example of that. Well, I mean, the fact that like um, a Judaizer who who says um, Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus' death is not enough. You still have to be circumcised, or you still have to follow, um, you know, this law or that law. That that's boarding, that's blasphemy because you're taking away from God what God has already said is enough, or what God has said is mine. Um, or in this case, you know, you, you have this, this idea coming up uh, that, or that is being built is that you have a reliance on stories, um, mythology, mythologies, genealogies, um, things that they are considering our law, but they don't even understand themselves what it is. And they're relying on them. And, and so what are they doing? They're taking away from God and giving authority to something else. And they're considering it to be part of the church. I think the blasph—I'm still trying to wrap my head around blasphemy being something where you remove something from God. It's more of a—to me, I've always uh, looked at the idea of blasphemy as not just uh, Jesus claiming to be God like he did when he was on, under trial, but also um, Jesus speaking about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit or against uh, the Son of Man, where it's against God speaking something— ag- against God. I'm just trying to wrap my head around well, but it, away but from it is God against cause... God because you're taking away from God and placing it somewhere else. Okay. So wouldn't that be a, I mean I, I like I said it's a broader understanding, but but it is blasphemy to 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 say I guess in a in a current state I would say um God can do anything, but he can't do well, that's that's blasphemous. If he can do every anything, he can do anything. Or or we'll say, you know, there's some people out there that 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 um that'll say, well, you know, um the Holy Spirit uh, works faith, but I have to accept. It's almost a blasphemous idea, and and saying you're taking away from what the power of the Holy Spirit is, and now claiming it to yourself. And, and you're giving that power to someone else, and you're saying that you are the deciding factor. So, I mean, there's the blasphemy, I would think, in there, is that you are removing from God or, or not giving credit as credit is due to God. That, that's kind of where I was, I was sort of thinking. Sure, yeah. It's a dreadful thing to, ha- to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a dreadful thing to speak against God and his word. He treats his word very seriously. And I think for me as, an, as a pastor... Um, and I think as a Christian as well, just to understand the thing that I'm holding in my hands, a Bible, is the very Word of God and that I should be very um, very respectful of what it says. And even the parts where the Word of God is not very politically correct uh, or the Word of God where if I actually said this on Twitter or said it on Facebook, I would get canceled. Uh, that's It's a reminder to us as Christians uh, don't speak against this word. This right. Where this word is important, or and, take away from it, or or take away from it. Um, Which and I, I think in the case of pastors is is the thing that I that I think is a trap we fall into even more. Um, I bring something to this table, right? Um, but I don't. <laughs> I bring a lot of hurdles to the table, right? 
Um, but uh, I, I don't bring anything useful to this table. Uh, that That's all the Holy Spirit's work. And, and I think that's, I, I guess, you know, I'm excited to start diving more into into the, the pastoral epistles and talk more about it. Um, but uh, to me, I think it's a good way to start is saying, okay, here's the word. Here, here is, here's your task. Your task is to keep it pure. Um, and it's going to be tough. And Timothy needed the encouragement to say, stick with it. <laughs> the grass is not greener in another call. <laughs> this is still your call. Um, and, and we need to know that too. I, I think there's some really good stuff there. Um, any other addings before we, we round it out? No, I thought you were running it out quite well. I should have given you some kind of hand signal. No, it's okay. But, you know, sometimes you have these really good pearls of wisdom that just pop into the head and you're like, I'm going to leave you with. And then. Boom, like, here it is. Boom, here it is. There it is. <laughs> I got it out of them. The words of wisdom. Boom. There, there it is. is. Um, if you come to church uh, and, and, and are following through the, uh, the, the epistle readings and things of that nature um, a couple weeks ago, depending on when this is going to drop, be new. Boom. There it is. Uh, you know, be what God has called you to be. Um, lift, high the, lift high the gospel. Share Jesus Christ. And uh, it's not going to be easy but it is going to be a joy as we share that.